that, that's a clip from this wonderful zombie film. I love zombies. But it's a great film because Sarah, we were just praying for you. We were so open. Well, that's all right. We have a doctor in the house. Two doctors in the house. That'd be pretty cool. A cane and baby. In every sense of the word. Zombies. Time to go from new life to zombies. They have this really unique take on the zombie genre. That's why I like the story so much. In this film, R, that's the lead zombie that we were just introduced to, he sees this human girl one day and he has this urge to save her from the other zombies. And then he falls in love with her. His heart starts to beat again. And then as she eventually falls in love with him, he comes back to life. Now, I don't know anything about the makers of this film. And, and you know me, I don't really care about that. But it does have some remarkable parallels with the gospel. And it is an interesting exploration of resurrection theology. Paul's own words in Ephesians could be used as the storyline in IMDB for this movie. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's a great little piece that definitely sums up this film quite a bit. Tulian Trevigian mentions this film in one of his books, and he makes this brilliant connection to Scripture with it. Trevigian writes, In Romans 8.3, Paul makes a profound statement about the relationship between love, judgment, and zombies. For what the law judgment was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh zombies, God did by sending his own son, love. Even the fact that the lead zombie's name is R is fascinating to me. And I didn't do any research to find out what the filmmakers wanted, but when I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if R stands for resurrection. Because even at the end of the film, when he is fully alive again, and the girl tells him he can choose any name he wants, he responds by saying, well, I like R. And she says, but you don't want to know what it was? You don't want your old life back? And he responds, no, I, I want this one. He was dead then by love he was resurrected. Now listen, I'm fully aware of, of the challenges of trying to carry over metaphors, so if you go home tonight and watch the film, please don't be, well, David, that's not true. And that's, it's a film. Okay? And one of the things in the film is it's more about reanimation, which Paul and Scripture decidedly go to lengths to say that is not what resurrection is. Resurrection is new life. But that limitation aside, I mentioned this film and we watched that clip because of some parallels with Paul's next argument in this brilliant, his brilliant essay on resurrection. So we've been in 1 Corinthians for a long, long time. We are at the fourth of five homilies that make up the essay in 1 Corinthians. And you know, it's a bit of divine serendipity that we are at this part of the essay as we approach the Pentecost season. Because the heart of Paul's argument here encompasses, really, the great truth of Pentecost. God in us. 
Or as Meg so wonderfully put it last week, God with our flesh on. I like that. God with our flesh on. Now, as we have been looking at 1 Corinthians 15, we have been talking about living the divine yes. Living resurrection lives. And here, as we near the end of this particular homily, Paul speaks directly to that. It's not perfectly clear at first read, but if we work through the challenges, it can become so that Paul's speaking to us here about living resurrection lives. Living the divine yes. The biggest challenge to seeing this is, we, is the way we tend to understand these two English words. In verse 44 he says, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The way we tend to understand these makes this a complicated text for us. And the Revised Standard Version didn't do us any favors. They actually made it much more complicated. The Revised Standard Version says, It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. I'm going to let Bailey explain why that language is so problematic for us. Bailey writes, Plato in the Greek philosophical tradition understood a human being to have a design, divine soul of pure fire. Think spiritual. That in this life was imprisoned by the body. Think physical. At death, the soul escapes from that prison and returns to the divine fire from which it came. Resurrection of the dead was deeply abhorrent to the Greek mind. Deeply abhorrent to the Greek mind. Resurrection of the body was deeply abhorrent to the Greek mind. And more often than not, we are greatly influenced by that great thought, Greek thought, even if we are unaware that we've been influenced. But here's the thing. Our scriptures are deeply Hebrew. And in them, there is no idea of this dichotomy. So then, what is Paul trying to get at with this language of natural and spiritual? Well, for starters, in context... Paul just made a brilliant argument for bodily resurrection. The last time I spoke, when we were in this essay, that's what we looked at, the seeds. If you were here, you remember that. So he's not going to, two sentences later, deeply contradict himself. Okay? Secondly, if we go over to chapter 2 in this letter, we'll see Paul uses the exact same original words to describe the difference between a natural person who does not understand the things of God and a spiritual person who does understand the things of God. Okay? So, Fee then picks up here, and here's Fee says, the words do not describe the stuff or composition of the body, rather they describe the one body in terms of its essential characteristics as earthly, on the one hand, and therefore belonging to the life of the present age, and as heavenly on the other, and therefore belonging to the life of the Spirit in the age to come. The transformed body, therefore, is not composed of spirit. It is a body adapted to the eschatological existence that is under the ultimate domination of the Holy Spirit. I love that line. The ultimate domination of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and Witherington adds... Paul means that the resurrection body will be animated and empowered by the Holy Spirit, just as the present physical body is animated and empowered by a physical life principle or force, which the creation story says God breathed into human beings. So then, resurrection life, living resurrection life, is Holy Spirit-led life. But here's the thing. This is not just about the future there and then, post-resurrection when the kingdom of God has fully come. 
It is also about here and now. This is the mystery of the gospel. This is what many scholars call the already not yet paradigm. The already is Christ has saved us, is making us new, is in us transforming us. Paul sums up the already like this in his second letter to the Corinthians. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. These are amazing verses to put to memory. This is happening. But it is also not yet. We are not completely and totally, as Fee so brilliantly said, under the complete domination of the Holy Spirit. And we will not be until our natural bodies become fully spiritual bodies. Until we go through bodily death and resurrection. Until the mortal puts on immortality and the final defeat of death is realized. Now, we don't struggle so much with the not yet, I don't think. At least I've never met anyone that thinks this is it. I think we are all comfortable that it's going to get a lot better for us as we oh, in time. But here's the thing. That was a Corinthian problem, believe it or not. And we've talked about this a lot as we've gone through the book of Corinthians. Some in Corinth believed they had already arrived. They thought they were spiritual in the full sense of the term because of some of the gifts they had. They thought they were it. And the only thing left for them was just to get rid of the physical body. That's it. That's what was going on in Corinth. But because they did not believe in bodily resurrection, morals and ethics meant very little to the Corinthians. So this is why they would sleep with their father's wife. This is why the rich could gather around the communion table and eat all the food while the poor were across the table and didn't get anything. Because it didn't matter. The physical was going away, so who cares? So... While they called themselves Christians, they did not at all look like Christ. N.T. Wright says they were caught in Plato's ugly ditch. <laughs> what they thought was the already was not even close to being the already in their lives. And as such, and here's the important thing, the not yet was in jeopardy for them. Paul basically says to them, as he's been saying right through this letter, we've been looking at it, I do not see a lot, if any, of the spiritual in you. So I'm not sure you're even on your way to being spiritual. Maybe it's time to examine yourselves and get on your way. And that's what this language here is all about in verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Again, problem with translation. Many English translations have made this a future-looking statement, a not-yet statement, right? Just like here, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. But there is substantial and solid scholarship suggesting this is not a future-looking statement. Wycliffe captures the original intent best, I think. Wycliffe writes, Therefore, as we have borne the image of the earthly man, bear we also the image of the heavenly man. Now, present tense. 
And this is not just supported by scholarship. I think it's supported by the entire New Testament, isn't it? From Jesus' simple words, follow me. Now, follow me. To St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, have this mind in you, present, that was also in Christ Jesus. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, he wrote, and therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come now. Now. And that is what happened at Pentecost. God came to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, making all things new. Waiting and wanting for us to surrender to His guidance so that we will live the divine yes. We will live resurrection. God is an eternally gentle lover. He's not going to make us do anything. That's where the surrender comes in. Surrender in our world is such an ugly word, that's too bad, because it's sort of a beautiful word. Think about it. We can live like Christ if we just let the Holy Spirit do His thing. Witherington comments. Now believers, now believers manifest in part the moral likeness of Christ and have the taste of the Spirit as a first installment toward eternal life. Paul stresses on the necessity of transformation. And he adds, in Christ's resurrection and our being in Him, we have also begun to bear the likeness of the man of heaven. The urgency is that we truly do so now as we await the consummation when we shall do so. You know, you know when, the, when the power goes out and you just have no power, and then the fire comes back on, it's like, oh, awesome, right? And you just plug in again. This week, I, I needed, I was in a situation where I needed to act like Christ. And I knew exactly what that should have looked like in that situation, and I did it. And all it was, was, and, and I, I even had the conversation sort of in my head, if you just step back and let the Holy Spirit go here, you'll be fine. And I just didn't, because I wasn't interested. I wanted my way. Right then, right there. And that's what happened. It's like I was unplugged. And I feel as Christians, we, we go through life. I, I mean, at least if all this stuff is true in the New Testament, the God in us, it's right there. It's like we just don't plug in. Let's plug in. The transformation, the transformation begins with love. Love is what the Christ event is all about. The Christ event, the incarnation, the death, the resurrection is all about love. For God so loved the world. Not our kind of love. The kind that is defined by Jesus Christ. Love is what the Holy Spirit, God in us, is trying to accomplish. Here's how St. John put it. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. I'm just the messenger. 
I didn't write this. St. John did. You know, I find it fascinating. How many branches are there in Christianity? I don't know, 10,002? You go to any branch in Christianity, they have the litmus test on who's in and who's out, right? But what amazes me is Jesus in Matthew 25 and then St. John echoing Jesus here in 1 John gave the only litmus test you find in Scripture. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And sadly, that's not about loving our families. I mean, it can be, but it's not. It's not about loving the, the girl that's really pretty or the boy that's really pretty or whatever. It's about, sadly, Tito, loving our enemies. And all the other things that God has taught us. But love is in us. Love is what transforms us. Love brings us out of death into life. Love stops us from wandering through the airport waiting. Brings us back to life. That's what happened to our friend R. Let's watch.
situation has changed. <laughs> the situation has changed. The Holy Spirit has come. Love takes us out of death into life. If we let it. And it's a much greater love than a boy for a girl. It's a love that sent a creator to die for his creation. It's in us. Love has brought us out of death into life too. St. Paul said, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the first resurrection, if you will, that allows us, even in our natural bodies, to start living spiritual lives while we wait for our spiritual bodies. Love has done all. And that love in the person of the Holy Spirit lives in us. God in our flesh. It is our wonderful and magical and singular hope. Love, God's Son, accomplished what the law, judgment, could not. Bring life out of death. Start a stilled heart. Warm a cold body. And after Christ's work is done, God cries out, like the prodigal's father. My child was dead and is alive again. Thanks be to God. Amen.